Whether it's her first Mother's Day or her 40th, she deserves more. Shop tons of stunning on-trend jewelry for every budget at Diamonds Direct. Diamond fashion jewelry, beautiful birthstones, everyday pearls, starting at just $200. Commemorate the real loves of her life with a gorgeous pendant featuring the birthstone of the one who made her mom. This Mother's Day, Diamonds Direct has everything you need to say thank you. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Online at DiamondsDirect.com. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at, at First, first Listen. Listen. This season... We're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Just a note before we get started, this episode contains brief mentions of abuse that some people might find a little disturbing. Please listen with care. I said that the trousers you made were the tightest trou- uh, pants I'd ever worn. And you had to decide which way to go. <laughs> you know, you had to choose to a, exactly. a side. And well. I said, oh, you know, Isaac was the designer. So, you know, it was sexy pants. And I, uh, <laughs> and I said that, and there was a review in one of the things said that it looked like I had a tea set down my pants. <laughs> <laughs> This is Hello, Isaac, my podcast about the idea of success and how failure affects it. I'm Isaac Mizrahi, and in this episode, I talk to Broadway legend, TV and film star, activist, and author Alan Cumming. Hello, Isaac. It's Alan, your old friend Alan Cumming. Can't wait to chat. Alan Cumming, man, he is just one of the most inspiring people on this earth. I've known him for such a long time. We met in like the 90s. And the thing about him is not only is he a great actor and a great singer and a great writer, and not only does he have that incredible club, but the other thing about Alan is that he's just a lot of fun. He's like a super, super fun guy. And I'm kind of excited to ask him a lot about his early life in Scotland because, boy, you know, if you've ever read his memoir or you know anything about Alan, you know what an incredible contrast that is. From such dark beginnings to such an incredibly light 
and lighthearted present. I'm excited about this. Let's get into it. Alan Cumming. Hi. Hello, darling. Hello, Isaac. How are you? You're coming in from, that's New York City, is it not? I am in New York City. I'm in my study. It's um, a rare thing of late for me to be here, but I'm very happy to be back for a little bit. I know. I, I never think of you as being anywhere. I always think of you as being like sort of <laughs> aboard a plane and like sort of touching down for long enough to do something amazing and then getting right back on the plane or something. Yeah, it's very appropriate. I was here for a month. I had a month off in July. I took July off, which was right. such fun. <sighs> but mm. I, a whole month. But I, like last week, within a week, I was in Parma, in Italy, mm. in Ontario, in Canada, London, Norfolk, and then back to New York City all in a week. Wow. By the way, the way you speak is so charming. You have this incredible kind of very thick Scottish brogue still yet, right? And I have to tell you, when yes. we first met, I thought it was like a performative thing. I thought you were doing like a character, like you were doing a peewee thing or something. I swear. I'm not did kidding. you, I did. I did. And I, I didn't really think it was, I didn't think anyone could really talk with such a crazy accent. God, some of my friends back home, they think I'm posh. So you should listen to them. <laughs> well, let's, let's go back there. Let's start from the very beginning because I want to know. I have a lot to, to ask you, darling, because I read your memoir, which was so good, but also in ways very harrowing to read the story about you and your father, right? But yeah. tell me about what it was like. Where in Scotland did you grow up? I grew up on uh, the East Coast in an area called Angus. It's the county of Angus. It's sort of mm -hmm. Dundee is the nearest big town uh, city, I suppose. And uh, I grew up on a country estate. So my dad was a forester. And wow. so we grew up in this country estate. I mean, now, well, not just now, but, you know, as an adult, I look back, uh, look at it and think how beautiful and bucolic. And I grew mm -hmm. up in a forest, basically. Um, but, you know, at the time, it wasn't very nice at all. Was there anything about growing up in that place that you think kind of prepared you or something or inspired you to be this person you are now? Like, how did you find acting? How did you find yourself as a performer? A couple of ways. I think I spent a lot of time as a child on my own. And so I sort of would go into the woods to get away from the house where my dad was and sort of just make up stories and sort of, um, right. you know, pretend and a very childlike mm -hmm. sort of way of acting, which is what I've always tried to mm -hmm. maintain, actually, uh, since. And then mm -hmm. towards the end of school, I started to do plays. And it was very much my English teacher kind of encouraged me, and then I started to do it. And, and oh, it was really the only thing. It was the first thing I was any good at. Really? Truly. And, I mean, yeah, I was clever and stuff. But it was the first thing that I did. Like, you know, I had friends who were good at sports and things like that, and I was not. And then I just did this, and everyone was like, what? And so I thought, oh. Uh, what I'm... did you do? You did plays, you wrote plays, you performed in plays? This is high school. I was in some plays. And then okay. after high school, I was, uh, you know, uh, whilst high school, I did sort of in the local, you, you call it community theatre in America. We call it amateur dramatics. Right. It's just much more sort of histrionic. Hilarious. Hilarious. I know, isn't it? Amateur dramatics. Yeah. So there yeah. you were in high school doing plays. What kind of plays? Shakespeare we would do a whole play. We did the, the trial scene from The Merchant of Venice, for example. Right. And uh, little short plays. And I did an opera. We did a Gilbert and Sullivan opera with the high school. That was hilarious. I was, I was, it was Patience, which is, have you ever seen it? <laughs> of course. I've seen it a million times. It's such a hoot. I was um, 
Funthorn, the poet, <laughs> and uh, the sort of based on Oscar Wilde. You know, I had a, a felt lily, which I still have. Actually, oh, this felt this beautiful. Lily. And I was sort of <sighs> going around like this with all the girls, you know, following me, and uh, um, being this sort of aesthetic poet. And my when my brother came to see it, he just said, "I said, did you like it?" He went, "You're just like that at home." <laughs> well, wait a minute now, because there you were in high school doing plays among some young men who were sportsmen, for instance, or, you know, macho kind of, they were doing all boy stuff. That didn't get you any kind of ugly bullying um, or notice? Yeah, I mean, I mean, yes, I sort of was a little bit of bullying. But I had, a, I mean, two things. My home life was so sort of violent and horrible and crazy. You know, I had a very violent, mentally ill father. Yes. Who, you know, I, my life, my home life was terrifying. Yep. And also I had a friend at school called Alan, also called Alan, who was a big, tall boy with hairy chest, who was a sporty boy who was kind of like slightly my protector in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when I see him now, like I, we're still very good friends. And I, he'll say to me, oh, no, you were bullied more. And I just don't remember right. it. Right. You, you blocked it out I of your think, memory, maybe. Or just that it was irrelevant in terms of what was happening in, in a lot of my childhood i don't remember to be honest Isaac. Wow. it's very it's very blurry for me and i know that's because uh you know you do that as a defense mechanism because it's too sort of much for you to deal with is there any part of it i mean that's appropriate that you can recall to kind of give us a context because you said it's violent and you said it was nothing, you know, like the bullying that you didn't even associate it because of the violence at home. Mm. Can you give us an idea just to, to slightly kind of bring us into that? I mean, my dad was completely a tyrant. So when I would go home from school, it would be this, this utter tension of when was he going to snap? When was he going to lose it? And it could be for no reason at all. Horrible. And it was just this this horrible tension event and then he would you know hit me right. and oh. uh yeah like sort of you know bring me across the room and <gasps> it, oh, like, no. it was awful it was awful but it was almost worse than the actual physical contact was the suspense of when right. it's going the to happen mental I mean, anguish mm-hmm. yeah and i think that's the thing with abuse often it's the apprehension and the the waiting for when it's for it to happen mm-hmm. that is more terrifying and more or horrible more traumatic it's the, the trauma more really trauma, is... yeah so i just remember it being silent being utterly silent we were all terrified my mom and my brother and i would do it was just everything was very silent it was like walking around a wild animal and not and mm. never knowing when it might charge you and attack you and there was no ro- logic or reason for why mm-hmm. and yet there were certain things he was you know he was obsessed he was obsessed with my hair really my dad yeah really obsessed with my hair and like I, every morning when i go to school i'd have to walk through the sawmill yard where this, there was a sawmill and there was sort of you know men working and things like that from between our house and where i had to walk to the to get the school bus and if he was in the sawmill yard that i would feel his eyes upon me and feel this gaze and i would have to you know take all the pins off my blazer mm-hmm. and i'd have to like make sure my hair was and he would kind of grade me and sort of assess me hmm. and if he didn't like it he would you know hit me and and then oh, i would no. and then I, but then I, I was still it was interesting i still had spirit because i would go up the road mm-hmm. and then kind of rustle my hair put my <gasps> pins on and <laughs> do that and even until even after i left school before i went to drama school i was working uh, for a publishing company in dundee for a year and i used to like hide clothes behind trees 
Really? I would like cycle, cycle down the hill to get the, the bus or a lift. And I would hide clothes behind a tree so that I could wear what I wanted. And then I'd have to change back into them to go back. To, I mean, so it was this bizarre kind of, I had to be someone, which is also, I suppose, prepares you for acting. Because I had to be someone mm-hmm. to, uh, to try and minimize to go away uh, from to go away from reality but you yeah. know i i do want to touch on this lightly because you know i look at you i don't think of a person who is i don't know tortured i don't think of you as a dark soul i think of you as a light filled and i've known you darling for quite a long, long time, time for a very yeah. long time and i'm sure you have your moments where you go down crashing down onto the sheets i'm sure you do but you are so far away from that world from whence yeah. you came, from that darkness. And you are such a kind of like a, an incredible kind of citizen of the world. We started the whole thing by saying, I can't believe you're not flying somewhere, right? You've got so many projects and so many things that you do. And yet you come from that extremely dark place. What do you think brought you away from that darkness into this incredibly light-filled place that you inhabit? Well, um, I think what it is, I mean, I, I, I knew that there was something wrong with my dad. You know, my mum told me I was precious. My father told me I was useless and worthless. And I knew they couldn't both be right. So from the beginning, from being a very young child, I ha- had to make up my own mind about myself and about other people. And so... I think I found self-love and self-acceptance at a very young age. I actually think I, I sort of feel in a funny way, I've lived my life backwards, that when I was a little boy, I had to be very adult. I had to understand adult things, mm-hmm. pick up adult signals and deal with a very dangerous adult. Mm-hmm. So I understood how to do it. And I feel that hopefully the worst things that could happen to me in my life have already happened. I feel same. I'm dying. Yeah, so mm-hmm. it, that's a very liberating thing. And I feel that because I got away, I always knew I was going to get away, mm-hmm. mostly. I always thought I was going to get away, but because of the sort of repressed memory thing, I did get kicked in the ass big time in my late 20s and had a breakdown about mm-hmm. it all and I remembered all these things. So since then, I feel completely liberated right. by it. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. you're right, it comes back. And, and you know, trauma and a abuse you don't sort of wrap it up and it goes away you just manage it better and it's a choice i think how you want to live how if you want to be happy if you want to stand in the light rather than the darkness and it's a constant you know i've been in therapy for (laughs) decades i was just gonna ask tell me everything about that that's great me too since i'm eight years old i'm in therapy literally right yes i remember you read i read your book Mm -hmm. and and read all about that i think that's great I'm, i'm a huge therapy proponent I feel it's, you know, it, it's great to have a place where I can go and I don't feel, <laughs> much in the way I'm doing in this podcast, I suppose, but I don't feel it's inappropriate or self-indulgent or anything to talk about trauma I've had in my life and how mm-hmm. it still affects me every day and how I am dealing with it and how it tr- it's triggering. Certain mm-hmm. situations are triggering, you know, when I deal with people who are controlling or have sort of insidious ways of making you feel bad or are kind of angry mm. people. I, right. I, and I tried for many years in my life to fix angry people. I was in relationships with angry people that I thought I could fix. And that was obviously a thing oh, gosh. from my dad. And I eventually stopped doing that. But I see therapy as something that is so useful to me to constantly monitor 
insane stuff mm-hmm. and the insane start to my life that I had. It was not um, balanced and it was basically one of the people who's supposed to be a parent, who was a parent, who's supposed to love you unconditionally, mm-hmm. took great pleasure in hurting me. Right. Awful, and awful. Just heartbreaking. Yeah, and that's... It's it is, and it's it's heartbreaking, and it's also a mind fuck. So that's what therapy is good for: is to just be reminded of how far I've come. But also, like the the second book I wrote called Baggage, which is a follow up mm-hmm. memoir. I actually the whole point of writing that was for me to say I feel I have triumphed. I am a survivor. I have kind of beaten the odds, if moved you on. will, mm-hmm. in terms of what's happened to me, and I've moved on from it. But it never goes away, and I think that it's important to say that and it's not like i don't think about i'm not depressed every day i'm not i'm not sad every day at all but i live with the fact that of that thing i just said i live Mm -hmm. with that every day and that is a lot and i feel it's important just to say and we all live with trauma we all have trauma but i think it's an american um trait as well to sort of try and wrap it up and pretend it hasn't happened. No, are you kidding me? Therapists, I've been in it since I'm eight years old, and I don't believe that you get better in therapy. I believe it's just this ongoing thing that helps you make it through your life. Um, You manage it, yeah. You manage, exactly. But back to the beginning for a minute, was there something, a role model, some person, or was it the plays or something that brought you out? It was always things to do with art. Like I, I studied piano and as a little boy and that was really a great thing for me music Mm -hmm. and I wrote songs and things and and then uh, yeah my English teacher encouraged me to do acting Mm -hmm. and then in the little town of Kunusti there was this couple who ran the theatre group who were so encouraging to me and gave me a sort of family outside of my own one that I didn't realise I needed but I now look back on it we recorded music a whole bunch of us so it was always things like that that excited me and kind of gave me mm-hmm. um not just the act of doing it but gave me a community to go to so that's why i you know I, i'm a big advocate of arts and education and how important that is that people have some way to not just necessarily deal with trauma but obviously it's very important for that but look at what happened during covid we yeah. all turned to artists we, the artists were the first people we turned to to mm-hmm. make sense of it help us get through it right so in a crisis we understand how important the arts are mm-hmm. but in normal life we don't really value them. and we take the money away from it and we try I know. It's the first thing to, i know which is something cut. we have to talk about but you know what darling i i'm sorry to niggle on about this. I will, though, because I feel like it's a really important thing to get at. I know you as this really kind of worldly guy with projects all over the world, right? And you're very, very positive and so open. And I just wonder how you did that. Because forget about what a great artist you are. I know. Listen, we'll all agree that you are a great artist and we're going to get into that. But I, I think of you as this kind of guy about town. Also, a party boy and a fun party boy. You know, how did you get to be so fucking fun when you had that as a past? You know, well, I mean, in my late twenties, I I did this thing called the drama of being a child and the heal your life workbook and all these things. Really, I did those things, but I don't think it was those. I feel that if you have lived with uh, uh, an oppressor. And you know they're wrong and you know that and all you're thinking about is getting away and getting out and living a life where you will not be afraid. 
um, then I think that there's this sort of huge kind of groundswell of positivity and and energy energy and- around it, and energy around getting up every day and sort of doing that, like being the opposite and not having that in your life. Yeah, and and also my mom is an incredibly she's like she has huge energy, is such a sort of joie de vivre, and you know we are both survivors of a of a terrible situation. But I see in her, and you know, for my mom's side of the family, I see great sort of. Um, chutzpah and energy and, and great positivity. And I think, you know, in, in a funny way, my what happened to me with, with my dad, it did boost my willingness to see the best in life because I, in some way, you have to understand and you have to forgive someone like that. You do. You have to. And so I try not to carry any negativity wherever I go. And bizarrely, I'm very good at confrontation. I just say what I yep. feel and I get it out there. I mm-hmm. don't let anything fester. And I just think I've learned those lessons from, you know, I, having had to look at, as I say, as a little boy, having had to look at adult situations mm-hmm. and make decisions about them way, way, way too early. I see. And I chose, I chose to live my life in a, in a positive way. Wow. And to seize it, you know, and I think that's something I, I do. And I have a great life. I really feel lucky that yeah. all these crazy things have happened to me. And we are the sum of all our parts. And, you know, everything that has happened to me, good and bad, has brought me to the place I am today. And if you're happy with that, then, you know, you just can't regret anything. And things you can't change, you have to embrace and realize how they have formed you. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Did you drink? Are you sober or did you? No. Oh, you, God, no. No. Okay. No. Well, I just, <laughs> all right. Well, then I want to talk to you for a minute about this because you're an incredible actor. I've seen you on stage in almost every single thing you've ever done. Okay. I think you are such a good singer. Like, I don't say that. I don't think people are good singers, but I think you are a really, really good singer. Oh, um, I mean that so much. so much. And you're a really good author. I love your books, right? Thank you. You're a nightclub owner. So what do you identify as mostly? Who are you? Alan Cumming, who are you? <laughs> I feel like I'm I mean, there's all various things I've said in the past, you know, to answer that question. Like, I'm a storyteller. It's so basically all, all these things are the same. But I feel like the things that I relate to most and the things that I have enjoyed most and the things that I've got the most reaction from are always things when I am truly embracing my authenticity and my story and my experience. So when I sing, for instance, I sing in this voice and I don't try to sound like anyone. I don't try mm-hmm. to have this mellifluous voice i try to sing like how the song i feel needs to be acted and that that took a long time but when having the courage to do that and it does really connect with people because i think they're like what oh gosh and i love singing songs that people would never expect me to sing and sometimes you allow people to hear a song properly or differently because they have never heard it sung with authenticity or just in a style that honesty and stuff yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so i think that's what i strive for and that's what really excites me and and while well, you know how exciting i mean i remember like the last thing of your book the very last line is about that yes. feeling of walking on the stage and connection with mm-hmm. the audience yes when you're doing a cabaret and mm-hmm. i i love that too and i really related to that and i feel like i've got one tattooed on my arm what does see. it say i can't see only connect oh come on really it says only yeah. connect yeah, it's the E.M. Forster ah, thing from Howard's End. And ah, it's about, it's about right. just that, how important it is just to connect with people in the world and also about connecting your own desire. 
to the life you lead. It makes sure you're not living a life that is out of whack with how you actually want it to be. What sign are you, darling? Aquarius. You are like my husband. My husband's an Aquarius. It's a really oh, good sign. Yeah, it's the sign uh, of the dreamer, darling. The sign of the dreamer. What sign is your husband, Grant? April the 29th. Is that a Taurus? Uh, Taurus. Oh, that's a good Taurus. thing. That's a really good yeah. thing. So, um, so I want to talk to you for a minute about like tradition because, you know, basically you're turning into Judy Dench. I mean, you, you are like, you come from this incredible tradition of that Anglo-Saxon kind of theatrical world, right? Right. Whether it's acting or singing or whatever, you came through all of that. That's how we got Alan Cumming as an actor, right? Yes. Is that an important thing to you, the tradition of something? Is it a horrible thing that you want to overcome? Like, talk to me about oh. where you're coming from and where you're going as a performer... Well, I feel, you know, very glad that I trained as an actor. And that Where I have, did you train as an actor? I trained at the Royal Scottish, well, it, it was called the Royal Scottish Academy of Music and Drama. Now it's called the Royal Conservatoire of Scotland. I think mm-hmm. you, you know you're old when, first of all, they moved to a new building. <laughs> yes, me too. And it was always <laughs> like, were you at the old building or the new building? <laughs> and then they changed thing. the name. So now I, so I think, you know, you're old when, right. uh, you know, that happens. But um, I went there for three years and you get such a, a great grounding in voice work movement, the way to approach a text, but also just about how to, you know, it's a really good training just f- to be a person and to sort of engage with people just to understand because you're just constantly observing and listening and, and sort of embodying other people and also you get to make mistakes because I, I feel so bad for such so many young actors that I work with who kind of are doing their drama school on screen or you know yeah in the full glare of the world's approval or not and I feel you know I love doing dopey poppy stuff but I'm also a sort of classical actor in terms of you know the, a lot of the work that excites me and I want to do are those great classical plays like the Greeks and Shakespeare and Chekhov and all that, I feel I'm really drawn to that. I mean, I have a very eclectic palette, as, as you know, and mm-hmm. but I do feel that what makes me different in America is that in, I think in Britain or in Europe, we're actors. And, and I feel in America, it's, you know, it's more sort of movie stars and mm-hmm. people who kind of have a personality yeah. that they kind of play a version of in each thing. Mm-hmm. And that's why I think, you know, people... I think that we're all so clever and can do all these accents and play all these different parts because uh, that's what our acting to us is. Whereas in America, I think people aren't asked to do that so, so mm-hmm. much. And I should Judy Dench. I am, you know, a Meryl Street brother. <laughs> that you mostly, most actors, when they're well-known, have a type, have mm-hmm. a sort of a thing that they're asked to do, which yes. would really frustrate me and bore me. And I think I'm lucky in that I come from a tradition where, from the very word go, you are... Um, asked to do lots of different things. You know, when I first came to America, it was really unheard of that, you know, I came because I'd done some movies that were in Europe, but but did well here. And in those days, it was like, oh, no, you don't do television. Whereas where I came from, everybody did everything. And now everyone does everything here. There's no differentiation between TV and film. It's much more egalitarian and less snobby. It's such a futile question to ask an actor like you whether you prefer, like, 
Eli Gold or Shylock or something like is it, it's a stupid question but the great Jews darling being played by a big shiksa but but listen yeah. but but <laughs> I didn't even think of that boy that's funny <laughs> but um, first of all are you American I am no I, I took citizenship you did. Uh, okay yeah. not dual um, citizenship like just yeah, 100% dual okay, I've got dual. both right. I still have a well I mean I have a European passport I always thought that by the time my European passport runs out, and there's no, you'd have to get a British one. By that point, Scotland might be independent, and I would have to wow. get a Scottish one. But I don't wow. think that's going to happen because it's 2026, my passport runs out. So I'll have a British passport and an American passport. I'm a little older than you, but I know that you remember London in the late 70s and the early 80s. I mean, that's when I started going abroad. And I remember, I mean, it was just the craziest place in the world. And it had existed like that for centuries. And then all of a sudden, you know, they have better restaurants in London than they do in Paris. And there's no class system. Like there's no pub that you go into that is only white collar or blue collar. It's everybody's mixed up now in London, the way the rest of the world is or something, right? But you remember gay bars in London in the 1980s and the 90s, right? It was insane. Like yes. you couldn't go into certain ones if it was below your class or above your class. Remember that? I mean, you know, I'm Scottish, so I... I'm very uh, attuned to the class system. Yes, you are. You are. I always say that the class system in Scotland is working class, middle class, English. Mm -hmm. And it's an interesting sort of fusion of classism and racism that happens with uh, with Scottish people living in England. It is an economic thing because there are less rich Scottish people than there are English people. Yeah. But I didn't realize until I came to America because many of the things I was being lauded for in America were things I was slightly derided for in in, in living in London, right. which was like my voice, how mm-hmm. I sounded, what my difference, my opinions, mm-hmm. and just my sort of me. But you know what I'm talking about, like, right. you know, Joan Collins or something, the fabulous yeah. Joan Collins, who we absolutely worship and idolize, you know, in London... You look at those people and you go, yeah, not Joan Collins. She's way too successful. You know, you did not well, want I think to it, be successful and rich if you came for Like, it was a whole thing, a class system. But it was also like the best thing in the world to be in, in England was a fallen aristocrat. Yeah. 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 But, you know, I think, it's, I think that's because, like in America, there's not royalty. There's not no. that class structure. Of course, there's a huge class system and uh, everyone's kept in their place. But the function that royalty has or is celebrity. And there's nothing better to be in America than a celebrity. I mean, it's just yes. being a celebrity Completely. in Britain is kind of still kind of seen as like a bit cheesy. Oh, don't be a celebrity. Not no, if you're Vivian it's, it's, Westwood. Do not be a celebrity if you're Vivian Westwood, darling. She will <laughs> cut you down. She cut me down in Tokyo, honey. I will never forget that. She? It was what did she mortifying. Say? She said, you are an evil American and I hate you. Literally, we were sitting in front of a million people in this fabulous place in Japan with Lacroix and she cut me down and I didn't even know her. She's Scottish or English and she was like, oh no, no, no. This was like in the late 80s. So you can only imagine, Mm. you know, Mm. she wouldn't get away with that today, but... No. Yeah. Gosh, that's so interesting. I mean, I sort of see her as someone who was kind of more egalitarian and working for, you know, the common man a bit more. So it's disappointing that she would be sort of racist like that. Iconoclastic. She was very iconoclastic. Yeah, she didn't like Americans. She really didn't. No. Do you like being American? 
I, I do. I, I feel like the reason I became American was to vote because I felt like I'd made my exactly. life here. And the only thing that I couldn't do, I also, as a joke, you know, I could do everything that an American could do. I could, um, I could uh, buy houses, I'd pay taxes, I right. could press minorities. <laughs> the only thing I couldn't do was vote. And so I, I became an American citizen in order to do that. And I'm very glad I did. And I feel like if you settle somewhere, if you choose to make a life somewhere, then you should engage fully with, with the government and mm -hmm. with the culture. And so I've, I've done that. I still feel, obviously, Scottish first. I am a Scottish American in the same way that you could be an African-American or an Irish-American. Mm -hmm. I understand that kind of concept. You know, America has been so good to me, and I feel I understand America much better as the years go by. And I feel that I understand, you know, having come from another culture and another kind of way of life, what are the things that are wrong with America? Mm -hmm. And I think some of them are like the fact that there's still only two major political parties I in know. a country of this size. I and so basically, know. it's just a like, it's just like team sport. It's not yeah. a, an engagement. But it's even in tiny little Scotland, which is, you know, like a, not even a half the size of mm -hmm. New York State. I mean, it's like there's more people live on Manhattan than live in Scotland. <laughs> and, and yet we have in the Scottish Parliament seven or eight different parties. Right. There's a, the Scottish National Party in a sort of coalition with the Green Party. And there's the Labour Party, the Conservative Party, the Social Democratic Party. Mm -hmm. So I feel that most democracies don't do this. And America, it's so unhealthy to only have, because what ends up happening is you only play to the people who are already supporting you, you to get them to continue mm -hmm. to support you. So everyone shouts at each other. And as you know, <laughs> nobody changes their mind being shouted at. No. So, I mean, I, I was talking yesterday about how I feel like in the early 2000s when I was kind of famous and going on talk shows, and mm -hmm. there weren't that many queer people out in that sort of, arena and i felt like i had this incredible opportunity to sort of bring up marriage equality gay rights all these things that were happening then to a mainstream audience because i was sort of i said i was sort of the acceptable face of deviance because i was kind of fun and chatty and yes, kind of uh, you were like and actually i feel friend. the more i think about that it's a much more effective way than just shouting at people because that's never going to change anything and i totally. feel that's how i my modus operandi for life is just to sort of smother people with love and get to know them and be interested in them. And then hopefully you can offer them another perspective right. and hope that, you know, their better nature kicks in. And I, I truly do believe that to be the way both mm -hmm. to uh, deal with people and also that people are better than I think they seem right now in America, because so many of them seem ugly and bigoted and angry yes. and rightfully angry in some situations, but they're being encouraged to be bigoted yeah. and, uh, and ignorance is being lauded and anti-intellectualism is field sport. And I just feel it's, it's a terrible time we're living in because we've lost touch with our humanity. Right. I, I love how political you are and I follow you on Instagram and it really is a thing in your life. You really do go out there and say stuff and I really respect that. Darlings, 
Is there something you've always wanted to know about me? Something you've always wanted to ask? Well, you are in luck. My dear friend, Brandon Lewis, is going to guest host an upcoming episode of Hello, Isaac, where he is going to ask me your questions. All you've got to do is follow me on Instagram at Hello, Isaac podcast and at I am Isaac Mizrahi. And be sure to stay tuned to my stories for how you can submit your burning questions. Thanks. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old us. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed, And to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in in a different aspect of my life now. So... How'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public... The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. 
Don't Drive Distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Charlie, you know what? I wanted to ask you about failure. Can you talk Mm. a little bit about when you failed in your life that was such an incredible lesson to you that brought you to this incredible state that you're in now or to a better place? Yes. My first marriage ended and I thought that was the biggest failure I, because I was still trying to exercise all the stuff about my mom and dad's marriage and, and I wasn't quite yet in a place where I understood all the stuff about the effects my dad had had on me. So I, I mm-hmm. was just so racked with guilt about, and I was racked about guilt with having left my wife and walked away from this marriage, but also just racked with guilt about having failed at something. Mm-hmm. I felt I was really trying so hard to make work because I wanted to prove my father wrong and that he could have a healthy marriage. Were you married to a woman? Yes, the first time. So yes. you were married to a woman who you loved and who you, you had a relationship with. Can you explain that to me? Because I know you as a giant gay right? But I guess you're, I guess you're like an early kind of fluid because we used to think of it as bisexual, right? But you tell, yeah. me, tell me a little bit about that, can you? Well, I would still sort of consider myself that mm-hmm. looking back at my life and the relationships I've had and the, it was so funny, like I was, someone was talking about the new Sex in the City thing and about how they've totally gone to the other side in terms of their discussions on gender and right. pansexuality and, and apparently in the first season Sarah Jessica said, oh, you know, bisexuality is just the last stop for gay land or whatever. <laughs> and that was a sort of... Right, we used steady, to say that. that that's people like used to say it all the time mm-hmm. and everyone sort of thinks that. And, and often, often in a way it is mm-hmm. uh, for some people, but it doesn't then negate what has happened in the past. You know, mm-hmm. I think that's what... Like, I feel like, you know, you can be gay and never have sex. This you is still so be gay. true. Or you could be straight and, and just have sex with men all the time. You yeah, know? yeah. Like, I mean, all those like things it used to I've... be, like it used to be, you know, when we <laughs> right, were kids, yes. you know, it's like, especially in Europe, especially in France. Yes. I mean, it's sort of, you know, <laughs> idea of you yeah. giving it a go. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was one of the things that I didn't really have a problem with myself, mm-hmm. that going back and forward or perceiving myself in that way. But yeah, it is easier now to sort of uh, say that and people to understand it. And, you know, in a funny sort of way, I think it's been great. The whole sort of trans explosion mm-hmm. um has been so good in in sort of demonstrating to people this idea that you can be both you can yes. be both or neither or many from, on in many levels in many different mm-hmm. ways sexuality of course and gender of course but i think it's been a really great way to sort of stop you know this black and white binary thing and i feel that has moved into the mainstream and of course that has challenged people so much and that's why we're having so much mm-hmm kind of a, of a backlash against trans people because of it. So you were married to a woman yes. and that yes. failed? And that did, failed. How did that bring you to where you are, say, with Grant or something? I had um, been, you know, I'd had, uh, you know, relationships with men before that. I'd gone mm-hmm. back and forward. I had a boyfriend at drama school. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I got married. How did had... we miss having an affair, Alan? Can you please tell me that? We've known each other for so <laughs> fucking long. We've come this close. How have we never done it? It's a little late now because you don't want to oh. see this, but darling, it's, I regret it. I still regret. That will go in my next memoir that I regret never having fucked Alan, Alan, oh, Alan coming. But <laughs> Okay, do you know what? Do you know what? Do you want, that bless you. I'm very flattered. But do you know what? It's reminded me of this funny story, Isaac. It's at one time, 
I wonder if I'm talking out of turn here. No, please I'm don't not. say anything. So ages ago, I think it was Glenda Bailey. Who I love. Me, love, love. I haven't seen her for ages. I must call her. She said to me, oh, you know, Tom Ford said that he's still very hurt by you, that you turned him down. <gasps> and I said, what? And she goes, yes, you <laughs> turned him down one time. And he sort of, you know, came on to you and you said no. And I said, what? No, I've never, I've never met him. That hasn't ever happened. I mean, I've been in the same room. Like, no, that's not. He's got it wrong. And, and she says, oh, no, he's still. And, and so then, this is years ago, and it was also before Tom was sober. Mm-hmm. Um, we were at, met at some, the Golden Globes or something, and he said, saying, <laughs> I can't believe you turned me down. I was like, <gasps> oh, my God, I've never turned you down. And so sort of wouldn't let it lie. And he said it was in London, and he was with uh, Brian, our mutual friend Brian uh, Lord, who's an agent at CAA. Mm-hmm. Who lives upstairs from me, by the way. I've never seen Brian in London. So first of all, before you go any okay, further, that's right. not flowing the logic. But he would not let it lie. And eventually it got to the point, I was like, listen, I would have fucked you if you'd asked me. <laughs> Darling, it got back to me that you told this story in your cabaret about about me checking your your package every night at Three Penny Opera. And you're, you're right about that, because I would like to, no. okay, Cindy's tits, check. Alan's cock, check. It was like, you know, this is what I did every night at that show, because I wanted it to be, like, overtly sexy, and I wanted no, you to I did, walk I didn't, on clanging. I didn't say that you, know, you yes, no. No, but I didn't say that you checked every night. I said that the trousers you made were the tightest trou- pants I'd ever worn. And you had to decide which way to go. <laughs> right, you know, you had to choose to a, exactly. a side. Well, I said, oh, you know, Isaac was the designer. So, you know, it was sexy pants. And I, uh, <laughs> and I said that and there was a review in one of the things said that it looked like I had a tea set down my pants. <laughs> well, you know what? That was a very maligned and very misunderstood production because I thought yes. it was so smart and so good. I did too. And also, I mean, it's so interesting, especially when you think about what time, it was like 2006. I know. And on, I, know. On, I would meet people at the stage door and they'd say, oh yes, we're here on a trip from, you know, uh, Iowa. And I said, oh, what are you seeing? And, and said, oh, we saw The Little Mermaid last night. We're seeing Tarzan tomorrow. <laughs> right. I was like, oh my and God, well, come and see this right, exactly. nutty, oh, funny. funny, alien. I mean, funny, the whole funny. point, the whole fact that we didn't do a curtain call, the which whole was thing. an act of alienation in itself. We totally. didn't bow. In idiot. Oh, people. they just made so, everyone was they so mad at that show. So angry. So and it was only like, you know, four revivals on Broadway that year, or three. And so we got nominated for a Tony because begrudgingly, because it was mm-hmm. the only ones. But um, we, yeah, I think it's just a way ahead of its time. It was a time in Broadway history where doing something sort of edgy and challenging and trying to sort of um, stay true to Brecht's alienation mm-hmm. techniques. Yes, well, I tried, <laughs> no, darling. Nobody I wanted tried. that. Nobody wanted yeah. it. By the way, back to Tom Ford, okay? I yes. don't remember ever asking to have sex with you or whatever, but I do remember, like, the first time we met, I thought, like, there's a fetch. Why not? And then, oh, no, don't do it an actor. No, you know? And then, like, every time I ever came in contact with you, it was like, hmm, 
T-set down his pants. You know, like really, it did occur to me like almost every single time. And then I thought, well, she just flirts with every fucking body, you know? Well, is that what you do? do you? Well, I mean, this is true. They're both flirters. <laughs> You're we right. Match our this... match, <laughs> I didn't think of that. Oh, it's so true. You might just be right. Okay, yeah. back to this idea of regret or yeah. feeling, you know, uh, failure or something. Is there, Are there things that you regret? Like, are there parts that you turn down that you go, shit? Uh, mm, no. I mean, I don't have regrets. I don't have regrets. I don't yearn. I move on. I, I cancel continue. It's a big mantra of mine. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's things that I wished hadn't happened <laughs> in my life, for mm -hmm. sure. But again, if they brought you to where you are and you're happy with that, you can't regret them because they really are part of like. It's like removing an ingredient from your favorite recipe. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's parts that I've turned down. That was it Mommy I, Dearest? Was it Joan Crawford? Did you regret <laughs> turning that down? Because Faye Dunaway, she did a she Faye, killed did it. You know, you know what's so funny? Uh, <laughs> you talked about Judy Dent earlier because this is a hilarious story. Just after I'd done X-Men, uh, which was one of the things that I <laughs> wished hadn't happened. It was a horrible experience. Mm -hmm. I wrote about that in my last book. Yeah. But a very good film. I really liked the film, but... Mm -hmm. You know, just having sort of really dabbling in that sort of where you realize what a cog you are in the Hollywood system that sort of enables such terrible behavior and yes, really abusive. Right. Are you about to tell me that you turned down the role of M in James Bond and Judy Dench got it or <laughs> no. something? Okay, no, I was, well. in a, I was in the first time Judy was in a James Bond film. I was in that James Bond film too in GoldenEye. I was a computer genius but no so they said to me i just finished x-men it was in vancouver so i was in vancouver for months months right and then this, i had a meeting with my agents i said well darling we think we're getting an offer soon for the sci-fi uh, then what's the man with the bald head who's oh in vin, Fast diesel. And vin diesel vin, vin diesel. diesel yeah but, uh, you know the film with him and it's a sort of a an intergalactic sprite and you'd be blah blah and oh, I said, it's oh a perfect okay. casting well, yes, but I sort of went, oh, back to Vancouver for months and months. And I've just oh, got, you know, and I, oh, 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 a bit oh, triggered. Ah. Anyway, a couple of weeks go by and I said, hey, what happened? I thought I was going to get an offer for that sci-fi film with them, Vin Diesel. And they went, oh, they've gone in another direction. They offered oh. it to Judy Dench. <laughs> oh, that's really good. See, I told <laughs> and you. And she I did it. it. <laughs> I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for deliverance. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your host of TMI. New year, new name, new energy, but... Same old. <laughs> oh, yeah. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues 
pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. But that's not all. We will also have special guests to add their thoughts on the topics, as well as break down different political issues with local activists in their community. If you like to be informed and to expand your thoughts, listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Let's take a moment to breathe. Deep inhale. Extend your spine. Remain focused on what you're doing. If safe to do so, exhale slowly, leaning to one side. Inhale back to center. If safe to do so, exhale slowly to the opposite side. Find mental health resources at loveyourmindtoday.org. This message is brought to you by the Huntsman Mental Health Institute and the Ed Council. We did that talk in Provincetown a couple of years ago. Such fun, yeah. Such fun, such fun. But the thing is that you said this thing to me, which I quote constantly. I'm not kidding you. Like almost every time I talk to anyone, I say that Alan Cummings said to me that he does not strive. He does not wake up and think like, how can I make this happen? Can you just Mm. elaborate on that? I mean, I, I do make things happen. But I don't waste time sort of yearning for something that's not, that's in the future. I just feel the time in between you and something you want to do is other time that you could be, you know, experiencing things and engaging with people Mm -hmm. and not having your mind closed off because you're thinking about this thing. I get very tunnel vision. Like I must, must complete this project, must get this project done. And meantime, there are seven other really good things that I've missed and the project doesn't get done because you can't control anything, you know? And I really think it's about focus, like being in the moment and focusing on what you're doing 100%. And then as soon as it's, you're on to the next thing. I mean, I do that in my life every day. Like even today, the various things I've done up till this moment are they're very disparate and very odd, but I kind of just think I'm focusing on that right now. Mm-hmm. I just did a thing for Penn, you know, downstairs, my assistant filmed me doing this video about the fact that one of the books, my children's book that I wrote that Grant, my husband, illustrated was, you know, is banned in some states <sighs> because it's got two dads in it. A kid's <sighs> picture book. How ridiculous. So I did a video about that. I'm focused completely on that. Now I'm focused on you and I've left all that behind. And I just think you have to really try and 
um, and then focus on fun as well, and you know, and flirting as yes. much as much <laughs> as you do on right. the serious worky things, and being able to sort of let go. This cancel continue. Like uh, if something bad happens, if there's a misunderstanding, or if you've made a mistake, you have to like deal with it, admit it, or whatever. Sort the situation out and move on. Don't let things fester. And I think mm-hmm. this not yearning into the future. I remember, like at drama school there was a man who was a bit older and I was having a relationship with him. And he was saying that, you know, he didn't get to the Royal Shakespeare Company by the time he was 30. Right. And he was going to stop acting. Oh, I understand. And I was like, oh my God, I why know, would he say thing. that? What a stupid thing. And then also, I got to the Royal Shakespeare Company before him and hated it and didn't uh-huh. have a good time there. Wow. And I think that's also another thing. You've got to admit when, like, for example, the Three Penny Opera, we had a great time. Yes, we but did. But it's clear that it was not successful in terms of the zeitgeist, the you know? view of it, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. so that's important to, un- to understand as well, to be self-aware and to know that, to, to make up your own mind about things. Like, I, I also think of that production as a very successful thing. Me too. But it was not perceived that way by the world. Me too. So therefore, you value your own opinion more than the world's opinion of you. Wow. And I think that's, Alan, that's I what's important. Stand it. Do you feel any shitty things? Do you get jealous? Do you feel on Instagram yeah. when tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, I get of course I'm not I'm not I've, You're not I'm, an intergalactic sprite like Judy Dench. I'm not a sprite like Judy, <laughs> no. Um, <laughs> isn't it funny? Yes, Judy Dench. It's my favorite uh, story. I just love it. But <laughs> <laughs> um and I love the fact that she did that part as well. Uh, I've never seen the film, but I, you know, I actually she got it. But anyway, um, bitch always gets my jobs. But I, I, I do. Yeah, I feel, I feel, I get weird. Not about work. I don't feel like there's anyone in my life. That I think, oh, they always get my jobs or anything. I've got such a weird, crazy, eclectic sort of career, and I do so many things. I make so much of my own work. Mm-hmm. I don't have any like that. It makes me frustrated sometimes that kind of shabby things and shabby people are lauded. Mm-hmm. But that's just, ah, in, but, right, but that's right, like right, in right, light. Right. That's why I'm, I'm just aghast that you know we have, have Trump as a potential. I know <laughs> another I mean, president. Another, in the same yeah. way that I feel like there's someone so ignorant and so bad for us mm-hmm. as being, you know, the, the more terrible things he does, the more people like him because it's sort of this cult-like thing. But no, I feel, yeah, I feel jealous. Like I feel jealous sometimes in my relationship. I feel. Mm. It's healthy. To Is your relationship, are you in an open relationship with Grant? By the way, Grant, no. uh, asking for a friend, okay? Because he's really <laughs> cute too, by the way. He's so cute. No, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't okay. say it's an open relationship. You know, things have happened. But mm-hmm. we've got friends who go out and um, and then, you know, they sort of go home with somebody else. We would never do that. No, no, That's no. not no, our no, thing no, as well. No, but no, we're no, also, good. you know, grown up some stuff happens. And, you know, sometimes you want to step things up. But yes. no, I wouldn't. I mean, I guess when that may maybe, I don't. I don't know what you'd call it, but I just think we're two uh, men who have been around the block a bit and are not confined by the sort of right. Hollywood ending confines of a straight relationship. And I think one of the great things that queer people can teach non-queer people is that there are many, many more damaging ways to be unfaithful to someone than to have sex with someone else. And I think that our attitudes and relationships towards sex and that is the healthiness of sexuality uh, is a really positive thing in terms of uh, helping straight people see that. The other thing that I think queer people can teach us is how valuable any relationship is, you know, because mm. I don't think they kind of 
uh, rate their relationships the way I used to rate relationships. They value each and every relationship more, I think. And they've taught us that, you know, on top of I what you so. just said, you know. I think, you know, there's an interesting thing that it, it was being discussed sort of, maybe when I was in Britain last year, um, working about, about how straight men don't have friends. They only have friends within their relationship. Right. And that it's a thing that <sighs> straight men always rely on their partners to supply them with a home, a life, the comfort of others. Right. And there was a sort of whole thing of women trying to get their men to kind of engage a bit more and have a bit more mm -hmm. of a life without them. And I am very independent of Grant. We spend a lot of time apart. Me too, as well. with Arnold. But we also mm -hmm. have, you know, Ari Shapiro, who I do this show with, mm -hmm says this great thing that he is very happy with his husband, but he doesn't rely on him for mm -hmm. his happiness. Right. And I think that's a really healthy way to look at it. Like, I think in a way, Grant saved me. And, you know, it's no accident, I think, that we came to each other when we did. I was 39, got together, and I had some dreadful, dreadfully toxic relationships, and I was kind of spiraling a bit. Mm -hmm. And I met this solid, utterly decent, utterly honourable uh, beautiful person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we really complement each other well. And it's just a, wow. you know, obviously there's always things, but I think we have a great relationship mm -hmm. in terms of complementing each other, understanding each other, being there for each other. And so <laughs> a couple of years ago, I was in Scotland and I was doing my concerts. And sometimes after my concerts, I do these club coming parties where I DJ and my band right. plays along the I've heard about them, darling. They're such fun. Yeah. They're sort of dance parties with performance. And, sort of, and I sometimes, I would crowd surf and wow. so there are these it's such fun Isaac such and so fun. you and it's such a thing of trust you know and, yes and so then it was a video of me crowd surfing at two o'clock in the morning obviously <laughs> drunk in a in a monkey outfit well how divine and it was so hilarious and uh it was on Instagram and things and my friend Eddie called up Grant he was back here and he said are you not worried Alan's over in Scotland <laughs> he's clearly drunk and he's crowd surfing in a monkey outfit in the middle of the night and um grant said of course that makes me incredibly anxious eddie but alan is a butterfly and we have to let him fly oh isn't that amazing grant. i know oh my God. so now sometimes when we're having a row i'll say i'm a butterfly remember <laughs> <laughs> that's a really good one okay last question darling yes. what is your obit tell me about the headline of your obit and what it says besides <laughs> alan coming 105 <laughs> Which is what I'm expecting to, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I would like it to say that his... Hmm, I mean, my favorite thing is to help people lose their inhibitions. Is to make people stop worrying about what other people think of them and to just dance and laugh and have fun and be silly. Wow. And that... That's what I love doing. And Help I think me, I'm really Alan. good at it. What? <laughs> Help me, darling. Help me be funny. <laughs> Come down to silly. Club Coming and have I a dance. Must. But that's what I think, you know, it was funny. It was a wedding of two lovely boys called Drew and Clay. Just a month ago, I came back. I was filming a uh, documentary thing in Scotland. I came back for it. And, and they got married in the Spiegel tent at Bard College. And they had this I amazing wedding. It was like a, yeah, it was like a performance. They didn't do their vows until the end of the night. I sang, I gave these people sang and did things. And it was just great. And they had met at Club Coming. And they talked oh, about how Club Coming was such wow. a part of them getting together. I felt so proud. Isn't of something that, that was a great thing? Yeah. Like something that was my spirit 
had brought these people together. And then they were all going to go there on Monday night for uh, Lance's uh, sing-along thing. And I had to go back to Scotland. But I just, that I feel like club coming is my greatest artistic achievement <gasps> in that I have, I have told the world how I want something to be, what I want you to feel when you go there, what are the sort of rules of engagement there. And then people, that has manifested itself by people coming and making it happen. Wow. And I feel I could be a really good cult leader because of that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy. Okay, well, we'll watch that. We'll watch out for that. Okay, darling, what do you want to promote on this podcast? Oh, oh, my children's book. There's lots of books. Oh, you know, Club Coming. And there's a Vanity Fair book about the Vanity Fair Oscar night with all these amazing photos by Mark Seliger. It's coming out. And I wrote the afterword to it. Oh. And I just got it. They just arrived the other day and I really like it. And then I'm doing my concerts in October and November. I'm doing a lot of concerts, some with Ari Shapiro, you know, the, yes, the I thing do. you do called I can't wait. Oh, <laughs> and then my solo show right now is called Alan Cumming is Not Acting His Age. And all the details for that are at my alancumming.com website. All right, darling. Well, you are a doll. And I remember we had in the works, a plan to sort of host a dinner party together. Yes, we were going to. I know. Well, I I will do that. I will um, invite you over. I'll invite you over and we'll host, we'll (laughs) co-host. Okay. Sorry about the dogs. They say goodbye. They say goodbye, Isaac. Goodbye, Alan. (laughs) Ciao, ciao. Now, guess what? I went into that thinking I had a full-on organized bunch of questions from my dear friend Alan Cumming. And guess what? We just got lost and we just talked and talked and talked. And you know, we talked about a lot of things that I did want to cover, but I feel like part two is pending. Only because, boy, he has a lot of inspirational things to say to human beings. And I also, like, love his story, the story about him and his husband, Grant, and how they ended up together. And by the way, if you didn't learn a life lesson... Please listen again to this podcast because there are about 17 amazing life lessons to learn from the divine Alan Cumming, also known as the intergalactic sprite, Judy Dench. <laughs> Darlings, if you enjoyed this episode, do me a favor and tell someone, tell a friend, tell your mother, tell your cousin, tell everyone you know, okay? And be sure to rate the show. I love rating stuff. Go on and rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts so more people can hear about it. It makes such a gigantic difference and like it takes a second. So go on and do it. And if you want more fun content, videos and posts of all kinds, follow the show on Instagram and TikTok at Hello Isaac Podcast. And by the way, check me out on Instagram and TikTok at I am Isaac Mizrahi. This is Isaac Mizrahi. Thank you. I love you. And I never thought I'd say this, but goodbye, Isaac. Hello, Isaac is produced by Imagine Audio, Awfully Nice, and I Am Entertainment for iHeartMedia. The series is hosted by me, Isaac Mizrahi. Hello, Isaac is produced by Robin Gelfenbein. The senior producers are Jesse Burton and John Asante. It is executive produced by Ron Howard, Brian Grazer, Cara Welker, and Nathan Clokey at Imagine Audio. Production management from Katie Hodges. Sound design and mixing by Cedric Wilson. Original music composed by Ben Walzer. A special thanks to Neil Phelps and Sarah Katanak at IM Entertainment. 
Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. More Than a Movie is back with season two. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to more than a movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.